0: All right we'll go ahead and start we will go ahead and, and get rolling so let me give all of you some announcements all right as we as we get this going if you could take the if the yeah the reverb off of there some people may start trickling in a little bit I know the snow the ice whatever has kept some people at bay but we wanted to go ahead as planned and for those that were willing to brave the the roads here you are and we will we'll uh, we'll move forward with it my 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 one of my one of my children were not super happy with me this morning. I told him, yeah, we're going to we're going to have service. You know, we're going to have church. And she's like, what about playing in the snow? I was like, look, look, you know, though our sins may be like scarlet, Jesus washed us white as snow. And uh, her response was, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, so there we go. Um, Anyway, so a few announcements for you. First of all, welcome. Good to see folks Uh, This morning, those who are willing to come, and uh, a few things. First of all, just as always, be mindful of those that are not here. Maybe not this week particularly, but be mindful as you've come week in and week out, just be mindful of... Uh, uh, who might be staying home for whatever reason just to make sure that they're not left in isolation but that you're reaching out to them, you're trying to connect to them, you're trying to talk to them, just to make sure that they're still connected to the body in some way even though they're choosing to be isolated for this time. So uh, we always want to reinforce that and make sure that you're doing that as well. So also uh, because we have a some mask, some not mask situation right here, just as a reminder, as we do every week, be uh, be sensitive of people's different comfort levels and people's uh, willingness or unwillingness to take certain risks. So just be mindful of that around you. And, uh, and, and, and act accordingly. With our numbers today, it should be, we should, everybody should be very comfortable, feeling safe, and all of that. So uh, we hope that nothing will serve as any kind of hindrance to our, to our worship time today. So I um, want to ask you this, in keeping with the vision that we tried to cast to you all several weeks ago, not to answer out loud, but think back to this last week. What did you do or fail to do and failures serve as opportunities for teaching, for learning, for growth. What did you do or fail, or to, do or fail to do with regards to keeping the gospel as the centerpiece of your life? What did you do? What opportunities did you take advantage of? Or what opportunities did you see but you let pass by? And this is not to shame you in any way, but this is to say, hey, let those moments be teachable moments. Moments that when the next time an opportunity comes up, you can say, I want to capitalize on that the next time. And maybe that will shape the way that you pray. That you might ask God for for boldness or for strength, um, or for um, just for knowledge, because sometimes we enter into these obvious gospel opportunities and we just kind of freeze up. We don't know what to say. Well, we don't feel like we're ready for that. Um, but a part of the Holy Spirit's role is to bring to our remembrance and to our attention the things that we've been taught. That's what Jesus told the disciples. So just keep that uh, keep that in your minds. Um, the ladies the the girls lies young girls believe is i think y'all finished last week so that is that is over um i don't think uh natalie the next time the ladies have a ladies night do you know when that is okay okay so to be determined okay okay so all right also so tonight we have an MC leaders meeting. So just uh, if you're an MC leader, uh, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday evening. So if there's any kind of issue with that, please talk to us. But otherwise, we'll plan to meet here. Austin, 630, is that what you said? So 630, won't take long, but we're trying again to have a, a monthly meeting so that we can stay in good communication between our leaders. And, uh, between our leaders. Um, let me think because I don't have my notes in front of me at this moment for announcements. Awesome. was there anything else that I'm not seeing because I put my, my phone away? I don't think so either. So, uh, In addition to what opportunities you may have missed or capitalized on last week with regards to keeping the gospel at the centerpiece uh, of your life, be it in your marriage, your hobbies, whatever it is that you do, look towards this next week think of what's happening, what's coming up. And so you should look forward to those opportunities that you can capitalize on. Some of you do that very well, where other, uh, others of us may struggle in those areas. Uh, that may not be the first thing on our mind. We're not used to maybe thinking that way. We're not used to wearing those lenses. But I would encourage you to do that, to make a plan, you know, because they say failure to plan is planning to fail. Make a plan to think of how you can be intentional with the gospel, whether it's evangelizing somebody uh, or, or whether it's how your identity in the gospel comes to bear in your life that can be seen by others, by the way you talk about Jesus, by the way you talk about uh, your wife or the way your wife talks about uh, or, or wives, how you talk about your husbands, whatever. There's a way to show how the gospel has shaped you and shaped your ideology and shaped your being. So be very intentional with those things. And the way that we parent, there's gospel opportunities all the time To think of how we can shepherd and coach the heart of a child with the gospel in mind and in frame so keep those things in mind so uh, before we have our uh, we'll we'll finish with the call to worship we'll have our uh, I want to show you a video to start things off and then the praise band will come up but I want to open to the book of Romans and um, I want to read to you this again thinking in terms of gospel centrality and what we want to be as a church and that is to be driven by and influenced by the gospel and everything that we do. Romans chapter 5, a strong, rich gospel text. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So you see the Gospels creating all of these things within us. It's supplying all of these character traits within us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And listen to this, because this is interesting. Since therefore we have now been justified in his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we are saved by God, but also saved from God. We're saved by his grace, but saved from the wrath that would be to come to anyone who's not in Christ. So that's a pretty interesting. I don't know if you'd call it a paradox, but a pretty interesting reality that you're, you're saved by God, but you're also saved from God. For a while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All right, so let's pray together and, uh, and then we'll, we'll watch this video. Father, it is our great privilege to be here today, those of us who are here, Lord, I pray that our hearts are settled and saturated with the gospel, with our affections, with our devotion for you. Father, I pray that this week would would may have been a week that was well spent as we've poured ourselves out for you. Lord, if we have not, if we poured ourselves out to ourselves or into ourselves or were more... Concerned with ourselves or more narcissistic in the way that we had our beings this week, which happens to all of us, Lord, may we may we be granted perspective so that this week we can we can we can we can do what is right, we can do what rightly represents you and what rightly represents the newness that we have in Christ, Father, I pray that you would stir our affections for you, I pray that as we 're here gathered today that you would create opportunity to stir one another up to love and to good works. If a demonishment is necessary, that we would do that. Lord, all for the edification of your church. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus to secure for himself his bride, which is which which are the people here and represented all throughout the world who are your followers. We thank you for your purchasing power. We thank you for the justifying work that we've just read about in the book of Romans. We thank you that you've saved us unto yourself, but also from your wrath. And Lord, I pray that we might take that reality and celebrate that in these next few moments as we've gathered together as your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: There is one God and He is the maker of heaven and earth. And He made us in His image and likeness, male and female, with dignity, value, worth, and purpose. He made us to worship and we chose to sin against Him, to rebel against Him, to disobey Him. As a result we are separated from God and we live under the foolish myth that to some degree we are each our own God, declaring right and wrong and living our own life by our own standards and that God lovingly came into human history as the man Jesus Christ fully God fully man that he was born of a virgin and he lived a life without sin though he was tempted in every way as we are and he went to the cross and there he substituted himself our first parents in the garden substituted themselves for God and at the cross Jesus reversed that substitution and substituted himself for sinners and when Jesus went to the cross he took willingly upon him the sin of those who would come to trust in him. That means me. As a sinner, Jesus went to the cross and took upon himself all my sin, past, present, and future. And Jesus Christ, God, who was a man, died in my place for my sins, paying my debt to God and purchasing my salvation. Jesus' dead body was then laid in a tomb, and for three days he was buried. On the third day, a Sunday, which is why we worship on that day, Jesus rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, demons, and hell. And He commissioned us with the Holy Spirit to be missionaries telling this amazingly good news that there's a God who passionately, lovingly, continually, relentlessly pursues us, and He ascended into heaven, and today Jesus is alive and well and he's seated on a throne, and he is ruling and reigning over all nations and all cultures and all philosophies and all races and all periods of time and he is king of kings, and he is lord of lords, and he is ruling and reigning over all people, commanding everyone everywhere to repent of everything, and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead, and those who trust in him will enjoy eternity in his kingdom of heaven forever, and those who do not will suffer apart from him in the conscious eternal torments of hell. That is what we believe. We believe in Jesus.
0: worship together, please.
2: And Jesus paid it all, all, to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he who asked
0: If you want to come up here today, I'll be instructing our time with the children. So if you'll come out and spread out a little bit, you can come right up here. That'll be fine. I'll stay right here behind this so the people that are watching online can hear me. They won't be able to hear you. But uh, maybe I can relay information if you say something that I need to relay. Okay, how is everybody doing this morning? All doing well, so no one's doing poorly. That's great, right? Everybody's doing well, good. You look like you're doing really well because you have your bear. Is that good for you? Is that nice? Would you you give that to me? (laughs) She clings it more tightly. (laughs) That's right. And she kind of looked at me. You didn't see her eyes though. So, uh, so anyway, Hey, let me ask you something. Has anyone ever borrowed something from someone else? Maybe you've borrowed something from your sister. Maybe you borrowed something from your sister. Maybe you borrowed something from your brother. Maybe Naomi, you've borrowed something from mommy and daddy. Have you ever borrowed anything? Just raise your hand. Yeah. 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 Now when you borrowed it, was there an expectation that you had to give it back? right because that's what it is to borrow something you know uh, like if I said to somebody hey can I borrow a stick of gum normally they reply to me and say well I'll give you one because they don't want chewed up gum back right they don't want me to chew up the gum or give me some candy or or whatever and say well I'll give you this gum back as soon as I'm done would that be kinda nasty you're looking at me like that's really nasty right yes I agree with your facial expression and yours too Addie Grace so that would be really gross so that's what happens when we borrow something. All right. So let me, let me, let me give this for example. Okay. So what I have right here is a $5 bill. Okay. So here's the deal. Carson, I'll talk to you for just a second, right? $5 can buy you some nice stuff, right? Buy you some nice candy, maybe some gum, maybe a toy at the dollar dollar store, buy you something really nice. Now I can say, Carson, I'm going to give you this $5, right? If I give it to you, do you have to give it back? No, because it's a gift. I'm giving it to you, all right? If I say, Carson, I'm gonna loan you and let you borrow $5. Am I expecting you to pay me back? Yes, yes. Carson, would you like to borrow this $5 or would you like to have this $5? Your choice. This is not very difficult, son. Okay. Would you like to borrow this $5, or would you like to just have it and you don't owe me anything? If you would like to have this $5, all you have to do is come and take it. That's all you have to do. Okay, there's a, there's a breakdown somewhere in a, okay. Yes, yes. All right, so this, this has shifted to a, to a teaching on trust and not uh, debts. All right, Carson, would you please come up and take this dollar from me? That's $5. Come on. you think something's gonna happen this is spendable money Carson Carson I'm giving you that okay you can go sit down tuck it away in your pocket because your sisters will rob you all right so I'm giving you five dollars it would have been a dollar but all I had was five so I'm the sucker okay so I'm giving you five dollars buddy you're not borrowing it if I said here you can borrow this I would expect you to do what pay me back, correct? But I didn't do that, did I? I said, I'm going to give you this $5. So we understand how borrowing works, right? We understand the difference in being given something versus borrowing something from somebody. Now, the Bible talks a lot about giving. It talks a lot about borrowing. It talks a lot about lending. It talks a lot about debt, okay? Now, this isn't a a, a teaching on debt necessarily, as you may think. But in another way, it very much is. Do you understand that the Bible says for the wages of sin is death, right? The wage is something that you earn. If you have a job or chores, maybe you get paid some money to do chores. Maybe there's an allowance because you do chores. You work around the house. You help mom and dad take care of the house as you should. And maybe you're compensated for that. In some kind of monetary fashion if not that's okay because guess what you got a bed to sleep in you got food on your table you got a roof it. I've covered all the all the parents okay so nobody's upset with me saying don't tell my kids I'll give them money all right should you get money that's awesome right you've earned that that's a wage everybody tracking with me so far I go to work I get a paycheck I've earned that right I've worked for money right I do that, right? Austin uses his brain for money, I use my brawn. Hole digger, hole pointer, all right? (laughs) Dig, so that's that's how this relationship works, okay? So, we earn death for ourselves because we are what? We're sinners. Do you know what sin is? It's when we do anything that goes against what God tells us to do. If God says, don't do this, and we do it, guess what, sin, right? If God says hey do this and we say no I'm not doing that guess what sin so we get ourselves in a bit of trouble right because we sin all the time you know if you say something ugly to somebody else huh sin because God says hey let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth but only words that are edifying for one another so we get ourselves in trouble a lot so you know what we've earned for ourselves death you know what we have we have a debt we owe God We owe God our lives because we've earned that payment. And for those that aren't in Christ, they spend an eternity paying off the debt that they owe by their life in a place called hell. And that's very real and it's scary and it's bad. But that's how bad it is when we go against what God says for our good and for his glory. Now there's something very cool about this story though. You and I owe a debt like a borrower has borrowed something. They owe the lender what they've borrowed from that lender. We owe God, but guess what? Jesus steps in our place and says, I'm gonna pay your debt if you will follow me. Now that's pretty crazy. We're not talking $5 debt. We're not talking $500. we are not talking 5000000000 billion. We're talking our lives. We're talking eternity. We're talking forever, kids. That's what we owe because we've sinned against God. But God says, while you are helpless, while you're sinners, God's going to send Jesus. And Jesus is going to substitute himself. You understand what a substitute is? Somebody who takes the place of somebody else. It's like if my wife is in trouble with her mama, and I say, Mimi, punish me, not Sarah. I'm substituting myself. I'm saying, I haven't done anything to earn this punishment, but I'll receive the punishment. This is what Jesus did. Because we're sinners, but Jesus is not, right? No sin, but he takes the place of a sinner, and he endures the awful, mighty, holy wrath of God, which is scary. And he paid our debt so that because we believe and because God is good in giving us Jesus and Jesus alone is enough to cover our debt. We get to be with Jesus forever. You see, because once we end our life here, we continue on in life. Whether away from God or with him. But the only way to spend forever with God is if Jesus pays the debt that we owe. Aren't you glad that Jesus is willing and powerful enough to pay any debt that we owe because we've sinned against God? That's pretty major. That's a big deal. And that's something that Christianity is built on and something that we spend our lives on teaching other people and trying to show others what we've experienced in Christ. All right, Carson, that's your $5. If you want to buy me a nice gift, you may. Okay, that'd be a nice gesture on your part, but uh, whatever. But it's your $5, buddy, because I gave it to you. You didn't borrow it, all right? You didn't borrow it, so you don't owe me, right? You don't have a debt to me. Just like for those who are in Christ, we no longer have a debt to God, because Jesus has paid it. That's pretty fantastic, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these these big, big truths. And we ask that you would help to condense these so that these young minds can understand them, so that they can process these things. Lord, Lord there's so many people that could communicate these things much more clearly than me, but there's no one that can communicate it better than you. So we ask that you would communicate these truths to these children, Lord, so that... As, 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 as muddled as the understanding might be of me trying to communicate these lofty things, we ask that you would do it. We ask that you would make sense of it in their minds, Lord, and you would create transformation and renewal in their minds. Lord, for those that aren't, that you would bring them to faith through these truths. Lord, that you would let them stand on and have a world view that's developed on these principles and these realities. And Lord, we ask that you would do that. Lord, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're dismissed. All right, let's stand again, if you will, please. Thank you. So I think we're live, we have been, so for those that are watching, I think there are a few who want to say uh, miss you, we understand you being home, That's a can be treacherous out there depending on where you live, so you are missed, um, and we look forward to having you back, but hopefully you're enjoying worshiping with us here. Uh, so technology's bad in many ways, but great in so many ways, so we, we thank the Lord that we can use technology in a redeemable fashion to communicate the message of the gospel to Uh, to people that aren't with us physically. pray, Lord, we ask that you would continue to inhabit the praises of your people. Father, that as it says in your word, that no matter what it is we're enduring, that we would endure all things for righteousness' sake, so that the result will be praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, whether what we're enduring is everyday day. mundane just the world beating down on us or if it's legitimate persecution or if it's those who would hate us for jesus sake who would hate us because of christ because of our stance because of the gospel rather that we may consider it an honor to suffer for righteousness sake and lord that we might live and move and have our being with the gospel central to our lives counting every cost and considering it an honor to suffer for you, Father, in seasons where there's no suffering, in seasons where things are easy, we thank you for that, Lord. We recognize that it could either be because we're not doing anything, or because you're just pouring grace on us in the midst of our in the, in the midst of our efforts. And Lord, we ask that you would give Austin great. Uh, great uh, attention and focus as he works through the text today. Give us a zeal and an excitement for your word. Lord, may we submit ourselves to it, and may we hold it high above all things as our allegiance, as our our authority, and to which we owe our allegiance. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated.
3: If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter 20. We're quickly approaching the, the end of John, and this may be my last sermon preached in, in John, I don't, I don't know, we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll see how many more the the Lord has for us in, in John, but it, it, like I said, it may be my last one in John, but it's been a joy to preach through this book together with Alan and uh, go through it with you as a as a church body. I think it's been uh, just rich and encouraging for us. Um, but uh, I, Alan said last week that uh, as he was reading and studying, he was He he read through that first section of John chapter 20 with the resurrection of Christ and what happens at the tomb. Um, And something he said really stuck with me. Um, He said, speaking of Mary, he said the next section, he wasn't going to cover it because he didn't have time. There was a lot in there. And as I was studying, I said, yep, there's definitely a lot in there. I see why he didn't try and tackle all of that at once. Um, But uh, he, he said something that stuck with me about Mary and Jesus appearing to Mary at the tomb, he said, grace often meets us in our darkest moment. Um, And that really stuck with me throughout the week. I said, you know, that's a really good theme for this section in John, John chapter 20, verses 11 through 20, where we have this intimate encounter with Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. Um, And and it is, it's a dark moment for her. I don't know that it's necessarily her darkest moment, Moment. Remember, she was one who was possessed by seven demons whom Jesus exercised from her. Um, and so just that, that alone was darkness. But this is definitely a dark time for her, um, a particularly dark time because of her close relationship with Christ. Um, uh, you know, she has a unique relationship um, with him among those who are followers of, of Christ to Plutonic relationship, as Alan mentioned, um, you know, last week, I think it's worth our mentioning again, just because of all the things that, you know, have transpired in our culture regarding movies and things, you know, about, uh, about Christ. Um, But there's nothing there historically to indicate that there was ever anything beyond that Plutonic relationship. But it was a special relationship, no no doubt. Um, And so we see Mary grieved and moved by the death of Christ. Um, And yet Christ appears to her here. And John records it for us, for our benefit, both for our instruction Given what transpires with Mary and what we read about her from her words to even her posture, which we'll look at. But not only that, but great, great encouragement of the grace of God through Christ in what we see written in this passage. So that's what I want to look at this morning. Um, as Mary grieves, not only over the loss of Christ, but now at his body's not there anymore. Um, and so it's a double fold for her. It's a double fold grieving uh, 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 and, and wrestling in process, um, but I want to look at the instruction we get from Mary, um, and then the rich encouragement and assurance we get from God in this passage. So, in the kind of the same fashion as Aaron did, uh, not Aaron, Alan did a uh, inductive sermon last week. I'm going to do the same thing. We're just going to walk through the passage. I'm going to you know speak uh, of the things that are in it make application as we go through so if you're kind of waiting with bated breaths for this kind of great crescendo when we get to the end it's not going to happen you know I'm hoping that it'll just be great wonderful encouragement nuggets and challenges as we move through lots to chew on lots to think on um, lots to stir our affections for for Christ and and God and his mercy and his grace um, and uh, I'll make a just a final application you know just kind of to hopefully connect things as we get to the end um, all right, well, let me, uh, let me read the passage for us, and then we'll pray. Again, this is John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. And I'll, I'll, I'll pick up in verse 10, just for, uh, for to literary, in a literary form to connect things. So the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and she looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet of where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? supposing him to be the gardener she said to him sir if you've carried him away tell me where he is where you've laid him and I will take him away and Jesus said to her Mary and she turned and said to him in Hebrew Rebani which means teacher Jesus said to her stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to my father but go to my brethren and say to them I ascend to my father and your father my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father God, you have much to teach us from your word. Every time I dig into it, just further amazed by your sovereign hand in history, humbly reminded, Father, that you are always at work around us to redeem a people for your own possession. Not a people who are extremely intelligent and have figured everything out. Not a people who are grand, particularly in their faith, but whose hearts are postured towards you. Who by your mercy and grace receive the gospel willingly. Love Jesus, Father, and out of that love for Christ, love people wholly and fully with a desire not only to see them thrive in the way that you have designed in glory and honor, Father, that their souls would be postured, saved and redeemed through the shed blood of Christ who was raised from the dead and has appeared, as we read this morning, to Mary. So, Father, as we read and we study your word, Father, would you open our hearts to receive what you would have us this morning, that you would stir our affections for Christ in bold and faith, Father. Mend broken limbs, Father, where they need it, Provide humble correction and admonition. And Father, you would be exalted in all of our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we find Mary here this morning. Standing outside the tomb. Recall Peter and John had already gone into the tomb. They'd seen that, that they, the, uh, they see the grave clothes folded and lying there. Jesus was not. Uh, and they left. They went home. And Alan made a point last week of saying that while Peter looked and observed, it was John who looked with the eyes of faith initially, and they left. And yet, Mary is outside the tomb. Now, I'll leave it to your own studies. It won't take time this morning um, to figure out sort of the timeline of how everything happened when you put all of the Gospels together. Alan used the imagery last week of... um, Overlapping scantron sheets. Oh, I thought that was great. Took me back to my high school physics class. Uh, you know, where one scantron and one scantron, and we'd gauge how long that lecture was going to go by how thick those scantrons were when we came in. Uh, you know, for uh, for the, for the the lecture that day. Um, but uh, that's that's a great illustration of how the gospels overlap each other in order to provide a complete picture, uh, or at least a full as full a picture as God would have us see um, of what the gospel looks like um, and particularly these aspects of the narrative. Um, so, But anyways, Mary had come back to the tomb and she's standing outside weeping. And as she's standing outside weeping, we find that she stoops down and she looks into the tomb. Now, if you remember in weeks past, we've talked about the construction of the tomb, what it looked like, how it, how it was designed, that it had a very low door, a low threshold. And so in order to go inside it... You actually had to stoop and walk down. So Mary, naturally, given the construction of it, has to stoop to look down. But it's instructive for us that she's looking down into this grave. Because in our moments of greatest despair and grief, do we not tend to look down? We look at the darkness around us. We focus on the evil of the world. We're absorbed oftentimes in the hopelessness of the situation. And there's encouragement here for us to look up. Okay, remember as Mary is in this situation and what we read of her, and we'll, we'll talk about this as we move through, but she's in a posture of unbelief. They've taken his body away. She's absorbed in the, in the moment and what's happening in the darkness of the situation and, and her eyes are not lifted up. As the psalmist says, where does my hope help come from? Comes from the Lord. I look to the hills. I don't want to diminish the importance of grief and sorrow, right? Solomon writes in uh, in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. There is a time for grieving. There's a time for sorrow. Right? We're, we're not those that walk around on cloud nine and just ignore the realities of pain and suffering. But Paul puts it well, writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4. Of those whom have died and were in Christ. He says we grieve but not as those who have no hope. But it's crucial that in grieving, in suffering, in despair and darkness. That we don't lose focus. Right? That we keep that which is eternal and that which is temporal intact and in in frame. That our greater hope rests in the promises of God given to us through Christ and what he's secured for us, particularly here in his resurrection, so that those moments of despair don't swallow us whole. And so Mary looks down into the tomb. She's absorbed in that, in that moment, that moment of darkness, understandably, but yet doesn't look with eyes of faith yet. And what does she see when she looks in there? She looks in and she sees two angels. Now it's interesting. She didn't recognize these angels. Did you catch that? She looks in, and she carries on this conversation as if they're, if they're just mere humans, they're mere people. It's interesting too that just shortly before that, Peter and John looked in, and what do they not see? They don't see the angels there. Now we could go on and on about it. And you know, when you look in scripture, you read, and you find occurrences of uh, of uh, of angels. Sometimes they disguise themselves uh, as. As humans see that in Genesis, with uh, uh, with Moses, um, sometimes they're uh, um, sometimes they appear as grand, glorious beings. Think of um, think of the shepherds, right? When Jesus was born, and they come and announce, there's the grandeur of the hosts of heaven that appear, and they're uh, the shepherds are fearful, um, and they come and they go as you know as God's bidding, as God uh, calls them to. Sometimes they're visible, sometimes they're You know, they're not. Maybe Mary didn't recognize them because of her grief. Her grief so clouded her judgment, she didn't recognize that these were, you know, genuine angels. Either way, it did not stir in her the thought that something phenomenal is going on here. She's still still boxed in 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 what she's she's seeing. Jesus' body is not here. Someone has taken it. And that's what is disturbing her, her most right now. We know, too, these uh, angels are clothed in white, representative of purity and righteousness. That of Christ and that which he gives to us through faith for all who believe in him. But what's really interesting is their posture. Do you notice what they're doing? They're seated. Now, now I think in my readings, this, was, this is the only instance in Scripture where angels are recorded as being seated. They're seated, one at the head and one at the feet. You notice that? There's one at the head of where Jesus was, and there was one at the at the feet of where Jesus was. Now, I have to I have to thank A.W. Pink for pointing this out because I would not have seen it on my own, and I'm so grateful for those who do studying and, and, and are able to see things that I'm not able to, and um, I'm happy to acknowledge that and, and relay that to you for sure. But Pink pointed this out, and I thought it was so just encourage him because I love I love it I love it when you can connect dots from the New Testament to the Old Testament to show you particularly obscure passages like why is that there? You know, why is this here in the Old Testament? And and you can see at some point later, you see a clear line, that golden thread that's woven that from the from the New Testament that points back to something in the Old Testament that says this helps just create a fuller picture. Pink points this out that in Exodus 25, God's giving instructions to Moses about the construction of the tabernacle, and He speaks in verses 11 and uh, through, uh, or excuse me, 17 through 19 about the construction of the mercy seat. Remember, in the Old Testament, there was the mercy seat that was built, right? And this was the place where God said, "I'm going to meet with you, Moses." That mercy seat was in the holy of holies, and Moses was to go in there and meet with God. Do you know what was what God said? Put this on either end of the mercy seat. A cherubim. A cherub, Heavenly figure was to be constructed on either end of that mercy seat. Do you see the picture painted here? That here are two heavenly beings. One seated at the head and one at the feet of where Christ was laid. Right? God told Moses, I will meet with you there. Surely here we have a picture the new covenant that's ushered in by the shed blood of Christ and his resurrection from the dead, God will meet with us in Christ. And he fulfills the Old Testament type. And he's now become the true meeting place of God and man. And this is this not what we needed, need most in our moment of despair? This is what Mary needed most. It's what she gets. She meets Christ. In our moments of despair and darkness, is that not what we need most? It's to meet with God. I think so often, I know for me, that's sometimes the last thing. What I want most is the practical. You know, I want my need met in that moment. You know, I I want the itch of my own personal idol scratched. You know to run to whatever that idol particularly is, or that that temporary earthly affection, so that I can kind of forget whatever is causing despair, whatever is causing struggle and and oftentimes the last place I think to run to is to run to God, to run to him through prayer right i don 't have to go to a temple and sacrifice a lamb or a cow or. I don't have to jump through these ritual hoops because Christ has paid all for me. And he says, now because of my shed blood and the righteousness that you have because of me, you can enter into Christ, into God's presence through prayer and commune with him. I have that available. We have that available as saints, right? When Christ died on the cross, remember what happened to the temple? The veil was torn. The barrier that, that separated faithful God followers for centuries. You can't go into the presence of God. You can't commune with Him. You can't meet with Him. You've got to go through a priest because that veil, that veil represented it. And now through Christ, we have access into His presence. We can go, as Paul says, boldly. And God says, that is what you need most in your moments of darkness and despair is to meet with me. And so Mary m- sees the angel seated there, and they speak to her. And they say, woman, why are you weeping? Now, obviously, I think it's obvious, but I'll state the obvious. They were not confused as to why she was there. They knew exactly why she was here, there. In fact, the, the, the way that that is phrased, woman, why are you weeping, is a very tender reproof almost as if to say, why are you crying in this moment when you should be joyful? It's a tender reproof. Why do you grieve when you should have joy in this moment? But Mary's answer is telling. What does she say? She says, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She's convinced someone stolen the body of Jesus. You see, she doesn't yet believe. She doesn't see All the things that are happening here are giving indication that Christ has been raised from the dead, right? That that miraculous event that he had promised would happen has actually happened. She cannot see yet with eyes of faith the reality of his resurrection. Yet she mourns for him, she longs for him. Isn't this true? Before we come to Christ, especially in moments and times of despair, we're searching for ontological answers. We're searching for answers related to being in existence. Why am I here? What am I here for? What am I doing? The larger, bigger questions of life. So often we come looking for things before we find Christ. And yet it is Christ that we need most. It's a reminder to us that Christianity is a relationship with God through Jesus not a series of facts or religious rituals. That's important for us to remember. It's important for us to remember as saints, especially in times of despair, but also as we counsel and evangelize others. Do you keep that in mind when you speak to others who are going through tumultuous times? That it's what they need most is to meet with Christ. That the tangible, the practical are good, but what they need most is Christ. So Mary says this, she's looking for the body of Jesus. And then Jesus appears to her. Verse 14, we find... When she s- had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She did not know that it was Jesus. Now, it's interesting she turned around. You know, the, the posture of Mary in this whole narrative is just, I find it rather fascinating. You know, she first stoops to look in. She's focused on the angels, and yet she doesn't realize that they're angels. She's standing there. She's talking to them, and then she turns around. We're not really told why she turned around. Maybe Jesus stepped on a stick, and it went click, you know, kind of like in the movies. <laughs> what was that, you know? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe he was shining or something, and we're not told why. And yet she turns around, away from the sepulcher of death, to Christ. Does anybody else find it fascinating that J- Jesus didn't appear in the tomb? I've seen pictures, paintings uh, that that depict this scene, and I never really thought about it. But they depict Jesus sitting in the tomb and Mary talking to him. But John records that he was outside the tomb. He was outside this sepulcher of death in a garden where there's life. So Mary turns, and Jesus is standing there, but she doesn't know that it's him. She doesn't recognize him. I mean, think about the irony of this that she supposes that he's a gardener. He's, he's a gardener. In fact, I mean, here is Christ who's the great gardener of the church that he's getting ready to launch. I say launch, maybe that's not the best word, you know, but he's planted it. He's going to till the soil of the New Testament church through affliction and suffering. He's going to plant the seeds of the gospel. He's going to sprinkle the water of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to grow. Does she really know what she's saying? She supposes he's the gardener. Here again, he is the great gardener. And Jesus says to her, the same tender reproof that the angel said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? It's interesting. He says, whom are you seeking? She was looking for a body. He asked about a person. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Let's pause here. Just think about the grace that God is showing and appearing to Mary. Right? I mean this is the this is the first appearance that Jesus is making. You think of all the people he had relationships with the disciples John you know whom Jesus loved his own mother who does he appear to first Mary Magdalene whom he had cast out seven demons. This woman who is at the tomb she's there she, she's not, she, she doesn't have great intellect. She's not, you know, and I don't want to demean her as a person, you know, and, and her honor and dignity is being created in the image of God, but she's not connected the dots. She, she's, she's looking for the dead body, right? There's honor and dignity in mourning over, over a person, and when their soul is departed and all that's there is the corpse, there's honor and mourning over that, and there was a lot of honor in Jewish culture for mourning at the graveside, and it was, it was considered ex- exceptionally offensive to move a body once it's been been prepared for burial and put to rest. You, I mean you could see this throughout even other cultures. You know there's honor and dignity in laying a person or body to rest and leaving it there. But she's not connected the dots. She's not figured out that Jesus has been resurrected. Further, she's not got phenomenal faith. Right? She doesn't look in. And I'm going to say that John, John had phenomenal faith. But John looks in and he observes with faith. Mary looks in and she despairs. Because what she's thinking is the body's been Stolen. but her heart was in the right place. Do you catch that? She mourned for Jesus and she longed for him. Who's the only one who's right here weeping and mourning? It's Mary. A.W. Pink puts it this way. I couldn't say it better. He says, Mary exemplifies the case of those who, whose hearts see Christ, but whose minds are ill-informed. It is the heart God looks at. We may know much truth intellectually, but unless the heart is absorbed with Christ, he will not reveal himself to such a one in the intimacies of love and communion. Proverbs eight seventeen says this, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. And this was Mary. What great encouragement this is for us, that we don't have to be able to connect all the dots. Be able to figure everything out. We don't have to say to the mountain, move in order for Christ to meet with us. And that mountain move. Our hearts merely have to yearn and long for him. And he'll connect the dots. He will supply the faith that we are lacking. And what does Christ do? When she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me and I'll go get it. He says one word. He says her name, Mary. He calls her by her name. He calls her by her given name. In Aramaic, it's actually Miriam. Same name she would have heard as a child growing up. Perhaps the same name that he would have spoken in that familiar voice in the years that she followed him. Reminds us of when Jesus said in John 10, and he calls his own sheep by name. Isaiah 43, 1 says this. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. What encouragement it is. Here's just a a further reminder. And you can see this all throughout Scripture. We've looked at this multiple times in John. But it bears, repeating bears encouragement for us. Christ calls each of his saints by name. There is a particular redemption in the gospel that when Christ says, this one is mine, no power of hell can remove that seal. Christ will have his sheep. He will call them by name. Notice too, and I, said I, mean, I mentioned the posture of, uh, uh, of Mary and that, that it's fascinating. She was looking in the sepulcher jesus comes behind her she turns and she looks at him but then it says when mary said when when jesus said to mary when jesus said to her mary she turned now there's no indication that she had turned away but clearly she had and it's likely she turned back to look at the sepulcher or she was looking elsewhere where have you put the body she's looking everywhere but the place where she needs to be looking and when Christ says, "Mary," her focus is right on Him, right where it needs to be. She turned towards Christ. Do you see that effective calling? You see the power of Christ. You see this elsewhere. I mean, remember, remember Jesus in the boat. You know there's the storm. The disciples, ah, we're sinking. You know, save us. And Jesus steps up and he says, hush, be still. And the winds and the waves die down. And he says to Mary, Mary. And the lights of faith click. And she's right where she needs to be. There's an effective calling there. It's a reminder, too, that not only does he call his sheep by name, but his sheep hear his voice and follow him because Mary responds she says Reb, Rabbani, which means teacher means master it's a it's a higher more honorable label than the typical rabbi it carried a greater weight so jesus meets mary in her dark in her darkest need with what she needs most she needs him She needs him, that his promises were coming to fulfillment, that he was all he said he was and even more than what she imagined at any point in previous history in in her previous relationship and following him. And then that's what we need most in our times of darkest need is to know, God, are you really there? Are you, all of your promises that you've said for us are true in Jesus, are they really true? It's not necessarily, can you fix my problem right now? Is is there any hope in the midst of this? Is there any grander picture that you're weaving together that's going to make sense, not for my glory, but for yours? I think that's what, ge- what, what has gotten so many saints through phenomenal suffering for the name of Christ for centuries. Is that meeting with Christ and them opening their eyes in their darkest hours. And they hear his voice and they follow him. and then Jesus responds and his response is his response is interesting too isn't it he says and Jesus said to her stop clinging to me for i have not yet ascended to the father stop clinging to me i, I know in the past i've i've read that before especially w- when i was when i was younger um, and I thought, well, there's something about his body. You know, he's glowing, or you know, now there's something that's happened here, and she can't, you know, she can't touch him. She'll get that glowy stuff on him, or you know, whatever. She'll her 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 sinfulness will taint him. No, but that's not really the case. I mean, you, you think about it. It's Jesus, Jesus isn't he's not offended by her physical touching of him. If he if he would suffer the hand of Thomas in his side. This is minor, right? In the other Gospels, we read that he was not offended by people touching him, bowing down, touching his feet, touching him to see that he was, in fact, real. And so Jesus saying, stop clinging to me, is not not necessarily a problem with her tactile uh, behavior. Rather, it's more of a twofold purpose, and again, I have to credit Pink uh, for this because it's so—he was so helpful in just helping me understand this. And that one, the first is that Jesus still had work to do on this day. Remember, this is the day following the Sabbath. Jesus was crucified on Friday, was buried, Sabbath day, and this is the day following the Sabbath. He's got work still to do this day in presenting himself before the Father as the firstborn from the dead. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, and he speaks of the resurrection and of Christ being the firstborn from the dead. The first resurrected of many brethren. Remember when we sang that song, Christ in power resurrected All well, that power came with a process and part of that process was Christ entering into the presence of God to be our substitute and declare his own righteousness and to say here are my first fruits Leviticus 23 I know your favorite book in the Old Testament as is mine You have a peculiar, not a peculiar, but you you just kind of have, you have a, a, a festival that was given that was the first fruits festival. And God had told the Israelites that when you come into the land that I've given you and you reap your harvest, your first harvest, this is the promised land. When you come into the promised land in the first year that you reap your first harvest, you shall bring the sheaves of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest and he shall wave the sheaves before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Do you see the connection? Here is Christ who is our high priest, who goes in before the presence of the Lord on the day after on the, or, uh, on the day after the Sabbath. And he stands before the Lord and he says, behold, I and all the children you've given me, all the sheep that, that, that I'm calling by name, those first fruits secured by my shed blood, I stand in their presence and God says, accept it. And so this is Christ's work that he has yet to do to go and stand before the Father on behalf of his firstfruits of the saints. And so he says, don't cling to me. I still have work to do. Now, Mary has work to do too, and we'll see that in a minute. But the second point is, and I think this is the one that's a little more obvious and a little more practical, that there is a, Jesus is signifying a significant shift from a fellowship with him that's based on sight and proximity, to one that's based on faith in the Holy Spirit, right? He's indicating to Mary that he'd no longer live in daily visible association with his disciples, but rather he would provide a richer fellowship through the giving of his Spirit to all who would believe, right? Isn't this what Jesus told the apostles in the upper room? Unless I go, the helper won't come. This is part of God's plan. This has to happen. And so I've got to go so so that I can send the Holy Spirit. John captures this well in his, his letter, years later, 1 John, towards the end of John's ministry. And he writes of his own testimony, of the testimony of the apostles. He says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That fellowship is through the Holy Spirit who's given to all who believe. It's a richer fellowship than one that is limited by mere physical proximity. Now, I say richer, it's also far more complicated because it is one that is based on faith and not on sight. It is one that's based on the faith that God is really doing what he says he's doing and he's active around us, even though we cannot physically see him. It's so much easier for us, created limited beings as we are, to act on things that we can see. It's far harder and more challenging to act on things and particularly promises in a person that we cannot see. And yet there's a richness to that relationship that is fostered and cultivated when we do follow Christ and and act in accordance with our our relationship with Him. And we see His hand and we see His fingerprints in and around us. Because John continues and he says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with Him. But there's an active participation that we take in our relationship with God, and that's that's challenging because it requires us stepping out in faith, oftentimes, in in situations that we question God: Are you going to show up? I was riding to, um, I was riding in my in my work van Friday, and I had the opportunity to talk with one of my coworkers that I normally don't get um being in the position that I'm in, I'm usually the one that's snapping the fingers going, go, 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 gotta keep schedule, gotta keep schedule and I let Alan take the opportunity to have social conversations, you know, short ones. As we're you know, as we're able to. Um but it, it's it's difficult for me to carry on those conversations through the course of the work day because it's on me to make sure that we hit deadlines. Um and so I knew I had this opportunity because we were traveling from one job site to the other and my coworker needed to ride with me and uh, I wanted to take the opportunity to speak about the gospel and we've had some conversations before but I was kind of just struggling about how to break the ice with it and you know just I just didn't have a piece about or or a piece or sense of direction about like where to where kind of where to start where to go you know with this thing and I'm I don't necessarily have the boldness that some of you do just to say so tell me about Jesus you know or you know just the hard the hard start you know I'm I I gotta I gotta kind of have it a little I gotta prime it a little bit somehow Um, and and, you know to my own frailty I end up with a paralysis by analysis sometimes and I struggle with how to how to get there you know when I should just open my mouth Um, but I was praying beforehand Lord just give me an opportunity give me give me just a Help me b- get beyond that and just speak, just open my mouth. Um, and we had, the the conversation went and I opened my mouth and was talking about Alan's sermon from Sunday and the necessity of the resurrection, why it was important. And then there was this really just long silence and I've become okay with long silences, you know, I just, I'm reminded that sometimes this is just when people are thinking Um, And he asked the question, why was the resurrection significant? I said, I'm glad you asked. For the next 20, 30 minutes, we talked about, you know, the resurrection and why it was crucial. And, um, you know, it it, it was just a great, encouraging conversation. But it was, I I say that, I tell that story to say, even in small moments like that, it's a reminder to me that Christ is real, And he is present and he's carrying out his work and his purposes because it's so easy to look and just say, why would this person have an interest in these things? You know, and we open our mouth and just say, Lord, give me words to speak. And I'll trust that you'll carry this in the way that you that you desire and to watch and see what the Lord does. And we walk away, not patting ourselves on the back going, hey, that was a great apologetic, you know, presentation right there. But just say, Lord, you're planting seeds. Your plan to give me courage just to scatter. To be faithful scatter. For, for saints and Christians. Who need the reassurance of the gospel. Need the gospel spoken to them daily. Because we do. And to those who are lost. And have yet to trust in Christ. So Jesus says to Mary. Stop clinging to me not yet ascended to the Father. He still has work to do to present us before the Father, but it also signifies that shift that it's no longer a relationship with Him based on physical proximity, but a one through faith and a rich relationship through the Holy Spirit whom He will give. And then He says this. He says, Don't cling to me, but go. He tells Mary. He commissions her. He says, Go. Go tell my Brethren, go tell my brothers. It's interesting. He says brothers here. It's a sign of a new relationship now with those who follow him because remember he previously said, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. And now he says, go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers. It's also, think of the sweet mercy of Christ here. What did these men, he's talking about the disciples, the apostles. What did these men just done? They just denied him. They just denied him. And he still will call them brothers. Remember in the Old Testament, Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers. He's cast into slavery, pitched in a prison. And he rises to power in Egypt. And his brothers come before him hungry and needy starving and he suffers to still call them brothers that was risky for joseph wasn't it to line himself with these nasty shepherd israelites and he said now these are my brothers set a table for them and christ says for all who follow him you're my brothers you're my family He will turn no one away regardless of the gravity of sin. We need to hear that daily. He says, your sin isn't offensive to me. I paid for that. It's gone. Come in. Sit at my table. And he says to them, he says, Mary, say this. I ascend to my father and your father. My God and your God. And notice there's distinction here. Some have run with this and in, 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 in false heresy have said, see, Jesus was just a man or see, we become gods because that's what Jesus is saying. But no, he's not. He's, there is distinction here because he doesn't say our father. He says my father, your father, my God, your God. There's distinction here. And it's important because, as the commentator Hendrickson says, he says, Jesus is a son by his very nature. We are sons by adoption. So there is a a distinction here that separates Christ from us. There will be a distinction in the new heavens and the new earth where Christ is still God. He's still seated on his throne. He still maintains a position of preeminence. And while there is a sharing of ruling and reigning, it's important that we understand we never are equal with him in glory. He is always the one that is worshipped. There is a distinction here, and yet there is a familial connection. That's a mystery that we're going to ponder through the rest of our days and probably even still into eternity. But what grace it is that he says... I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. We are family because of Christ's resurrection. And then lastly, he gives Mary this commission. And it says, Mary came and announced these things to the disciples. You notice Mary's the first gospel bearer of this uh, um, uh, of Christ's appearance, right? And she's the first one given this commission to go and proclaim the resurrection. I think it's interesting, and another commentator points this out, Eve was the first messenger of death in the Garden of Eden. Mary is the first messenger of life in the resurrection. It's a point we we ought to think on. And she's the first messenger, the first of many, because this is our calling as believers, is it not? Is to carry the same message of eternal life in Christ. And that's not just, well, you got to get out of jail free card. This is something that's way on down the road. This has real impact for what we're doing here and right now. Again, I can't help but reiterate that what people need most is to meet with Christ. And he doesn't do that by just popping up, appearing, 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 appearing. He did that, and we'll read, as we go go through the end of John, we'll read more about other appearances as he makes appearances to other followers and other disciples. But he says, now I give that commission to you that you would take my word to open the eyes of faith of those who are blind. And this is our commission as believers to carry that same message that was given to Mary to others. So as we close, I just want to reiterate where Jesus meets Mary in her moment of darkness and he calls her by name. I think of the proverb that says, uh, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. I don't really get that, and I haven't really had time to study it, you know, an apple of gold in a setting of silver. I think of like a ring with a giant gold apple on it. You know, I mean, that's kind of cool, but I'm sure it has some really, really significant value. I just haven't dug into it, you know, yet. But I get the sentiment. It is precious. It is of uh, phenomenal value is a word spoken in right circumstances. And this is that rich faith that we have in Christ As he puts us in situations with people who need to hear that gospel, need to hear that word, need to hear God call them by name through the testimony of the gospel. And Jesus says, you're my conduit, believer. You're my conduit, Christian. Now go and take my word to the nations. Let's pray i got to thank You for Your Word. I'm just always humbled and encouraged as I read and study it. Especially as we connect dots from parts of the Old Testament and New just to see the tapestry that You've woven throughout history. It just brings further credibility to Christ's death and resurrection. he was indeed the incarnate son of God and that he is ruling and reigning seated at your right hand that he's entered within the veil he is our anchor in your presence father sometimes in our darkest hour all we can do is hang on i'm i'm reminded of the of the frail picture in the Old Testament of the priest who would go into the Holy of Holies, Father, once a year, the Day of Atonement. And there was fear in the camp of if there was sin in this priest, if something that wasn't right, they might die. So there were ropes that was attached to the priest as he went in. That way if he died, they could pull him out. (laughs) He was the temporary picture of their sure and steady anchor grace and mercy it is to live this side of the cross and know that we have Christ as our anchor sure and steady and I love the line in the, si- the song that we sang deeper still goes the anchor it's not that the anchor wasn't deep to begin with it's but our f- the f- sight of our faith sees how secure Jesus holds us in our moments of weakness, in our moments of darkness and despair. And we cling all the more tightly to Christ. And then we go and we live in the light that he's given us. So Father, I pray that this morning you would give encouragement to us. To step out and walk in faith, not because we figured everything out, but Father, because we love Jesus. Whether that's ministering to a co worker, a family member, preaching on a street corner, speaking to someone who's about to abort a child. And Father, may our hearts be postured in the right place that we love Jesus. We see our need for salvation in Him and that thriving can only come through following Your ways. Father, we would love people in that same way. Not to lord over them and crush them, Father, but to come alongside them. Point them to the great gardener who has the seed of life and the overflowing fountain. Of living water. Father, may this be our drumbeat. May it be our cause. Father, would you exalt your name in our life this week? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you, may keep you, may cause his face to shine upon you, may lift up his countenance towards you, may give you peace. You're dismissed.